I just want you to know up front, I'm feeling some kind of way today. And um, by nature, I'm intense. And um, Jamie's like, you need to calm down. And you need to, all the time. It's like that all the time. And um, so I'm feeling that today. So pray for me, okay? Uh, I may say something that you don't agree with. Just pray for me. Father, I thank you and I praise you for this wonderful opportunity to be in your house, the privilege to be able to share your word, to be able to be here assembled with some of the greatest people on the earth. I thank you for their commitment, their dedication, their sacrifice, most importantly, their love for you and their commitment to you. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. And everyone said, amen. This is the last message on home builders. I've hope that you have enjoyed this series. Would you let Pastor Dan know how much you love and appreciate the message that was given the last, thank you. And um, from now on, if anyone comes to me for counseling for kids, I'm going to say, just go watch the message. <laughs> Amen. Um, from the very beginning, in the book of Genesis, you will find that Satan, once he discovered God's plan for marriage and families, he began to attack that plan. As a matter of fact, everything that you see happening in the 21st century was in the book of Genesis. It's always been there. So as soon as God's plan, or as soon as he saw God's plan for marriage and family, he began to attack it. Genesis 3, man, he pits man against woman. Genesis 4, polygamy. Genesis 9, pornography, lustful looking. Genesis 16, adultery. Genesis 19, homosexuality. Genesis 34, fornication. Genesis 38, incest and prostitution. Genesis 39, subduction. Satan has done everything in his power to try to, from the very beginning, destroy marriage, and destroy the family. But through every challenge, God has answered that challenge. And the marriage union still exists today all over the world. And it's still a good thing, amen? How many of you believe that to be true? And the reason it's still... Um, alive and powerful today is because everything God creates, he creates to succeed. Everything is created to succeed. And from the very beginning, God gives us a formula for marriage. And if we will follow this formula, you will succeed in your marriage. It's found in Genesis 2. We've been here through this whole series it's Genesis 2, verse 24 and 25, and it says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. They shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So within these two passages of Scripture for marriage, if you follow what God outlines in these two passages of Scripture, you will succeed in your marriage. There is a one 100% guarantee. How many want to sign up for that? Amen. Here's the first law. There are four laws. The first law is the law of priority. Everyone say priority. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother. So 
the most important relationship that you and I had prior to marriage was the relationship that we had with our parents, the most important. This is a blood bond that you have with your parents. And we know this, that blood is thicker than, blood is thicker than water. So basically what that says is no matter what, you stick with the family, right? You stick with the blood. But let me give you another thing here. Blood may be thicker than water, but spirit is thicker than blood. Spirit is thicker than blood. This goes back to the very first thing that I talked about in the very beginning of this series, and that, that we dealt with compatibility. Because the strongest bond on this earth is between a husband and a wife who are united as one spiritually. You cannot get a stronger bond on this earth than a husband and wife who are spiritually connected. There's no greater bond than a husband and wife. And so this is why spirit is now stronger than blood. Your marriage outside of your relationship with God, I think that's a given, but your marriage is the number one relationship. It must be first and it has to be above everything else. You think about this for a moment. The reason that you fell in love, one of the reasons that you fell in love to begin with was because you prioritized each other. Do I need to talk about that for a minute? You put each other first. You thought about one another all the time. Just not. It's okay. You prioritized each other. But what happens is this, and I don't believe it's intentionally. I just believe it happens. Once that relationship is secure, what happens is, we begin to take one another for granted. And then other things become a priority in our life. And typically, when you begin in marriage, you have this mind, mindset, it's us against the world, right? And um, all we need is love, right? So you find out when you call the utilities company and you tell them, well, we're in love, and they say, we don't care, we still want you to pay your bill. So then you begin to realize that you have responsibilities, right? That responsibilities come with the marriage. And what happens is this, priorities begin to shift because you have other responsibilities that are now part of your life. So for the husband, many times he begins to turn and focus on a career. For the wife, especially when children are involved, their direction begins to focus on the children. So you have the man focusing on career. You have the woman focusing on her children. Now, here's what we have to understand about our children. They are a temporary assignment. They don't want you following them around all their life. Thank you. So you have to understand that they are... A, now, that doesn't mean... I mean, we still have a very close relationship with our parents, Jamie and I. And uh, we still lean on them for advice and everything else. But hey, once they go, once, right? Once they leave the nest, they're out of the nest. Amen? And so you have to understand that children are a temporary assignment. What your children need to see is your children need to see you modeling marriage for them. And they need to see that, that uh, the spouse 
is first and foremost in that relationship. Because typically what happens when children, and those of you that are, have passed this stage or those of you that are in this stage, you understand what I'm talking about here. When children enter junior high, high school, marriage satisfaction is typically at its lowest because our, our attention and our time is now being divided. Because if you have a preteen teenager, you know that you have now become their chauffeur. They're Uber. You take them wherever. And so you're running them here and there and everywhere. And now they're socially active, so you're staying on top of who they're connected with, who they're with, who they're talking to, all of those things. And um, in case you haven't found out, they require a lot of money. I remember as parents when we was like, man, I can't wait until they, they uh, get out of these diapers and formula. How much money we're going to save? Wrong. Bring back the diapers and formula. Try braces. Try car insurance. You all know what I'm talking about, right? And so they require a lot of money and they require a lot of attention. It amazes me how children think that it's all about them. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. I have discovered the number one goal of our children while they're growing up is to possess our souls. <laughs> Amen. That's it. So it creates pressure on the family. It really does. And so we're typically not spending as much time together as we once did. But here's what you have to understand. Once the kids leave home, when they're 18, 19, 38 years old, once they leave home, <laughs> marriage satisfaction does go back up, but never to its highest point. Never like it was in the beginning. I don't have time to talk about how you have to go through the empty nest syndrome. Jamie and I went through that. We were looking at each other one day like, who are you? I don't know you. I don't recognize you. Because we had spent all of our time and energy. Mine was focused on the church. Hers was focused on the girls. And then all of a sudden, they're gone, and we're in this house alone. And it was scary. <laughs> So we had to learn how to reprioritize our relationship. And so that was a major adjustment for us. Let me give you four quick things on how to prioritize your marriage. Number one is sacrifice. Sacrifice. It's more than just words. If you're going to prioritize your marriage, you have to prove it. So for some, maybe I'm just going to throw some things out here. You, you just wherever it applies. For some, maybe you've picked up a hobby that takes a lot of your time and a lot of your energy and a lot of your effort, and your spouse is saying, what about me? And you just think that they're nagging at you and don't want you to have fun, but no, that is a sign that they don't feel like they are a priority in your life. So for some, it might be, okay, we're going to sit down, we're going to talk about prioritizing our marriage, our relationship. What is it that I need to sacrifice at this season in my life? What is it that I need to give up so that you and I, so that I make sure that this relationship is first and foremost in our lives? Number two is time. 
But let me just add something to this. Time without intrusion. You know, when Jamie and I were first married, um, we didn't have cell phone, we didn't have internet, we didn't have, you know, all the social devices that we have, the smart devices. We didn't have a, cars during those days, but we did have cars, by the way, just <laughs> seeing if you're still awake right now. We didn't have any of those things. So when we went out to dinner, we had each other's undivided attention. Today, we bring our cell phones with us. So when we're sitting down for dinner, um, there are text messages, there are emails that are coming across, there are phone calls that are coming through, and when you were dating, you ignored those text messages and those phone calls. But now that you have secured things, you're like, hold on, let me take this call. Come on, just nod your heads. It's all right. So we have these smart devices, our cell phones, that we have text messages coming, we have phone calls, and now we think we have to take pictures of our food to, to post on social media. <laughs> Nobody cares what you're eating, unless it's pizza. <laughs> and then we're going to post the pizza. I'm going to start a campaign, post the pizza, post the pizza. Right? So all I'm saying is this, make sure that you disconnect so that you can connect. Leave it at home, leave it in the car, put it in your pocket, turn it off, whatever you have to do, but make sure you disconnect in order to connect because the time that you do spend together, it needs to be uninterrupted. Number three is energy. Make sure you're not giving each other your leftovers. Make sure that you're giving them your very best. Number four is your attitude. Make sure that you're doing this out of desire and delight, not just duty. Well, I got to spend time with them today. <laughs> got to talk with them now. Uninterrupted for 30 minutes. Make sure that there's a good attitude behind it. The number one law of marriage is the law of priority. Marriage only works when it's in first place. It's a good place to give the Lord praise right there. Number two is the law of pursuit. A man shall cleave unto his wife. That word um, pursue or cleave, I should say, is an energy word. It's about energy. It's an energetic word. And this is what God is saying to us from the very beginning of marriage. Marriage is, watch out, I'm going to cuss, work. It's work. Falling in love is work, amen? You have to work at your relationship. You have to pursue one another. You know what it was like when you were, when, when you were pursuing one another. I don't have to talk about that. But a lot of people think that, that if they have to work, that something must be wrong with the relationship. No, marriage is work. Or some people think, well, since I have to work at this, I didn't marry the right person. No, marriage is work. I don't care if you've been married a year or going on 39 years, it is work. Amen? I think people have this misconception, preconceived idea that every morning that you wake up in your marriage, that it's going to be glorious. No, every morning that you wake up, your breath is going to stink. <laughs> and you're going to see them in a light that you've never saw them before. I never noticed that about them. 
Oh. It's work, amen? And so Jamie says, these have been 39 glorious years, some capital G, some little g, but they've been glorious years. And it's work. You have to pursue. You have to work at it, amen? So what does it mean? You have, what does it mean to work? It means you have to meet each other's needs. For a woman, the number one need is security. There is nothing that makes a woman feel more secure than a selfless, sensitive male. I didn't ask you to give up your man card. Because I could go the other way and talk about how that masculinity is under attack in America right now. I'm not going to go that way. I don't have time. That's all right. Let's give the Lord praise. She wants you to be man. Amen. Look at ladies. If your husband's next to you, just look at him and tell him you're the man. I'm looking. I'm looking. You are the man. So there's nothing that makes a woman feel more insecure than a detached, selfish man. She needs to feel secure. Number two is non-sexual affection. What do you mean you want us to hug without anything else? I'm telling you how guys' minds are we're wired that way. I need all the men to just keep smiling at me and, and helping me right now. <laughs> Number three is they require our, it's, it's, it's what they need is open and honest communication. Women, and I don't mean this in a negative, women talk in circles, men talk in straight lines. Say it another way. Women want details, men just give you the headline. So, for instance, the guy comes home and he wants to know what's for dinner. What's for dinner? Well, the wife says, well, you know what? I was thinking about that at work today. And um, when I got off of work, I knew that we didn't have anything at home. So I was going to stop by. I was going to stop by Giant Eagle because I read that they had a sale on chicken. So I was driving. And I wanted to get off on 615 to go to the new Giant Eagle. You know the new Giant Eagle, the one where they put the get-go beside and there's a Starbucks going in front of that because we need another Starbucks in Minter. <laughs> I was wanting to go, I wanted to go to that Giant Eagle because they had chicken on sale, but there was an accident and I couldn't get off, off of the 615 exit. And I don't know if anybody got hurt, but there was an accident. So I just prayed for the person that was in the accident. So I just drove and I went to the next exit and I got off on Heisley Road and I came back around and I ended up at Heinen's. Hein but I don't like going to Heinen's because I feel like their prices are higher than the prices at Giant Eagle. And I knew that Giant Eagle had a sell on chicken, but I went ahead and went into Heinen's and I bought the chicken. Here's the guy. And then I ran in to Robin and guess what? Robin is pregnant again. Now this is the fifth or sixth child that they have. And then she told me that Bill, you remember Bill, her husband? Well, Bill has to have hernia surgery. Did you know that Bill needed hernia surgery? And she said they wanted to get the surgery done before the baby came. And so uh, I checked out and the husband's like, why couldn't you tell me we're just having chicken? That's all I wanted to know. 
Guys, did I nail it? Come on. We just want to eat chicken. That's it. Number four is leadership. Leadership. They don't want to be dominated, but they want to be led. Lead your home. Working at your marriage means that I'm going to work at meeting your needs. For the men, for the men, I wasn't going to forget us guys. I'm coming. Our four needs. The first need that every man needs and desires is respect and honor. You thought it was something else, but it's respect <laughs> and honor. We have a great need for respect and honor, and we're really big babies at it about this. We really are. This is what we want and need to hear. I believe in you. You have what it takes. I'm proud of you. Thank you for all that you do. I believe in the vision that you have for our family. I believe that you are the one that God brought into my life. And I respect and I honor you. That's our number one need. And I'm going to tell you something. If you tell us that, we will run through a troop and we will leap over a wall for you. We really will. Number two is sex. Go back and listen to the message I preached three weeks ago and keep sending those text messages. Number three is friendship. Believe it or not, friendship. We want you to be our buddies. We want you to hang out with us. We want you to go places with us. We want you to enjoy the activities that we enjoy. We want you to partner with us. We want you to be our friend, but we do not want you to be our mother. We have one. We don't need another. Amen? And the fourth thing that men need is domestic support. We need you to turn our house into a home because we can't. And even if you work outside of the, outside of the home, we want you to be domestically centered. We want you to turn your heart towards our home. That's what Dan was talking about last week when he came home and to chaos, to kids. And later they sent me a picture, and he was telling you the truth. Not that he would come up here and lie to begin with, but he was telling you the truth. Amen? Ladies, we don't... Here, ladies, this is how we would make a bed. We, we would just use one pillow. That's it. One pillow. We don't understand why the whole bed has to be covered in pillows. As a matter of fact, we would never even think about covering the whole bed in pillows. Amen? It just, wouldn't enter, it just wouldn't enter our minds to do so. But guess what? We love it. Because you turn our home or you turn our house into a home. And we need that. Those are the four needs that we have as men. Your marriage is work. It requires work. And you're going to have to work in order to meet each other's needs. Are you ready for law number three? I've got to skip a few points here. Law number three is the law of partnership. The law of partnership. They did a survey and they asked couples, how many of you grew up in a home where one parent was dominant over the other parent? 
was between 65 and 70 percent where one parent was dominant over the other parent. They then did a follow-up question and asked them, how many of you think it had a negative impact on your family and the marriage? 65 to 70% said it had a negative impact on the family and the marriage. Why is that? Because you and I, as when God brought your spouse into your life, was meant to complement each other, not to dominate each other, not to compete against one another, but to partner with one another. I wish I had more time to talk about this, but let me just say this, especially when you are dealing with major, major decisions, major decisions, you need to be in agreement. You need to be in agreement. It's not a wise idea to go out and purchase something and come back and say, surprise, surprise. Don't do that. You need to sign off on it. And three people need to sign off on it. You, your spouse, and Jesus. Because you really want to know who the boss of the relationship is? Jesus is the boss of the relationship. Amen? He's the one. So make sure that you have three signatures on whatever you're doing in that sense. Here's the fourth law, and I want to spend a little bit of time here. And it's the law of purity. The law of purity. The Bible says that they were both naked and not ashamed. The Hebrew word here is raham, and it means to be exposed. It means to be exposed. They were physically, they were emotionally, and they were spiritually exposed to one another. Meaning this, when God created the first marriage, the first marriage was an open book. In other words, I am an open book. You can see anything you want to see. Anything you want to know, I'm an open book. This is how God created it, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. They were an open book to one another until, watch this, until they sinned. And when they sinned, what happened? The Bible says this, first closing. The Bible said that they covered their private parts and they hid from each other and they hid from God. Watch this. They covered the areas where they were, most, where they were the most sensitive and different from one another. The most sensitive and different from one another. When you and I are living your marriage in purity, you can talk about the most sensitive areas of your life and you can expose your differences. And you can do it without shame, without humiliation or retaliation. You're just an open book to one another. When we are in a pure, when we are pure in our marriage, we trust each other. There's intimacy in that relationship on every level. But listen to this. When our spouse is not our priority, when, our spouse, when we are not pursuing them, when we are not in partnership with them, there is a lack of purity in our relationship. And what happens is this. We begin to cover ourselves emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And we become afraid to share sensitive things to each other, and we hide from one another. 
But God never, ever intended for marriage to be that way. So the question then becomes, how in the world do you get the law of purity back in your relationship? Um, the Lord just laid this on my heart, and I tried to figure out how to weave this into this message. And I really do feel like it is applicable to this message. This is all I want to spend five minutes. Just give me five minutes here. In the Bible, by the way, this is not drugs. This is salt. I told the praise team this morning, we're going to have a good Sunday today. For those of you that are watching online, this is a bag of salt. Two bags of salt. Okay. In the Bible, it talks about a salt covenant on three different occasions. Um, all in the Old Testament. But salt was a very valuable possession in Bible days because it was hard to find, and when you found it, it was hard to mine. And so uh, Roman soldiers were paid with salt. You've heard the expression, they are worth their salt. They are worth their salt, which meant that they are worthy of their pay. You learned something today. And so salt is where we get the word salary from. It's from salt. So it was very valuable. Everyone say valuable. There's a phrase that's still used in some cultures today, and the phrase goes like this. There's salt between us. There's salt between us, meaning our relationship is good. We have a good relationship. In the Jewish home, still to this day, before the family sits down and partakes in the Passover meal, there are two things that are on the table, salt and bread. And the father takes salt and he sprinkles it on the bread, and this is what he says. If there are any differences, if there's any offense between any of us, discrepancies, arguments, whatever, before we enter into Sabbath, which is rest, before we enter into rest, we need to settle our differences. We need to make sure that there's salt between us, that everything is good between us. And so I'll tie that in in a second. When, you, when someone entered into a salt covenant in the Bible, it was a promise of loyalty and it was a promise of unity. Salt represents an unbreakable bond between two individuals. That was the salt covenant. So what would happen then is couples adopted this and they would bring salt to the wedding. Each couple, each person would bring a, a pouch of salt. The husband and the wife. They would take, they would take um, salt from each pouch, open open it up, and they would put salt in each other's pouch. And when they did that, they would make a covenant. They would say things like, I promise to be unto you faithful. I promise to, to be loyal. I promise all of these things like we do today in our marriage vows. And this is what they, they would take those pouches back with them, entering into that relationship, and they would present these pouches. They were visible. And what happens is they would say the only way that we can dissolve this relationship is if you can get back into this and separate 
your salt for my salt. Impossible, right? Impossible. And so as Jamie comes to play, here's what I want you to see today as we end this series. I spent all week studying on salt. Do you realize there are over 14,000 uses for salt? Salt is used for purity. It's a symbol of purity. So here's what I want you to see. I want you to see how valuable that person is that God brought into your life. They're valuable. They are worth their salt. Your spouse is worth their salt. Amen. Are you with me? You have to make sure that you see to it that there's salt between you and your spouse. We're good, right? We're good. Which leads to the next point. point. Before we can rest and enjoy the Sabbath that God has for us, we have to clear up anything that is a hindrance between our relationship. Before we move forward, we have to clear this up. And I'm telling you, church, if we will look at that, and if we will follow these four laws, they're very simple. Priority, pursuit, partnership, impurity. If you'll follow those four laws that God outlined in the very beginning, you have a 100% guarantee of a successful marriage. I didn't say a marriage that wouldn't have trials and tests and tribulations, but a marriage that can make it through the trials and tests and tribulation. You believe that today? I want you to stand to your feet if you would, please. So, sometime, whenever you decide to do this, our ushers have bags of salt for you to take today. I believe this can be a powerful moment in your relationship. At some point in time, I don't know whether you go out to dinner, whether it's a romantic evening at home whatever it is I want you to take these two bags of salt and I want you to take some out of your bag you take some out of yours I want you to open these up and I want you to put them in there and seal them and I want you to leave them in a place where you can see them and let that be a reminder of how valuable how important how God sees that relationship that you have with one another. Amen. Can I pray for your family? Can I pray for your marriage right now? Would you just lift your hands right all over this building, overflow room? Would you lift your hands? Those of you that are watching this online, just lift up your hands. Father, we realize that our homes are under attack. Marriages like never before. The pressure that's put on families today 
things that our children are dealing with today. We understand, Lord. But we also realize and recognize that you're greater than any of these things. You're more powerful. And just as salt is used as as a healing agent, I pray for relationships right now, Lord, that need healing. By your spirit, just begin to move. Spirit is stronger than blood. By your spirit, just begin to move in those relationships and bring healing, bring restoration, and bring hope. Lord, if there has even been discussion of separation and divorce, I nullify that now in the name of Jesus. I cancel it by the authority of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that that couple would come to the table and get salt between them. That they would focus on what's good in that relationship, what's right in that relationship, and build on that. That they would reprioritize their love and their time for one another. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless every home, every family that's represented here, online, and those that will watch later, that you would bless them indeed. And may they have a strong, healthy marriage and home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.